This is an RNZ podcast. I'm Richard Bavor. I've been a surgeon for almost 20 years. It's the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. Mostly, I operate on cancer patients. Surgery's not pretty, but at least it offers a chance of cure. This is the sharp end of cancer. That was how TVNZ's new show, How Not to Get Cancer, kicked off last Tuesday night. And even before it screened, the program's title and concept annoyed some people who already have cancer or their advocates. Troy Elliott, for example, whose wife Tracy has stage 4 breast cancer, said it was offensive to cancer sufferers. And Troy Elliott told RNZ's First Up program many people had actually boycotted the program. We even had some cases of... Of a, of a woman that had to deal with her child actually asking questions, Mummy, how come you decided not to get cancer and how come you did not not get cancer? And even though episode one of the show did make it clear that anyone can get cancer and no one can be blamed for that, TBNZ apologised for unintentional upset caused. Surgeon Richard Barbour told viewers, cancer's complicated and upsetting, but avoiding it can be a good news story. No one's to blame for getting cancer, but we can all reduce our risk. I've decided to explore the other side of the cancer story, prevention. Tuesday's opening episode focused on food. Upcoming ones will examine lifestyle and our environment. And one of the four episodes will be all about medicine and treatment. But that's been the firm focus of much of the coverage of cancer in the news lately, along with those who have to live with it. In his daily show and his weekly newspaper column, Duncan Garner has hammered the government for failing to spend more on medicine for cancer care. And last Tuesday, he reminded the Prime Minister of her party's pre-election policy. Labour will create a national cancer agency to make sure New Zealanders get consistent cancer care and end the anomalies in treatments. We will end this postcode lottery by making sure there are standard treatments across all our DHBs. We are committed to ensuring New Zealanders get the world-class health care they deserve. It goes on, we'll provide $10 million to establish the agency, another $10 million to get the work underway. Joining us now is Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Good morning. Good morning. Duncan, the whole point of us talking about the Cancer Agency was this issue of inconsistency of Mm. treatment. And that campaign for the National Cancer Agency is now being fought in and with the media. In just over an hour, a petition will be handed over to National Party Health spokesperson Michael Woodhouse calling for a better way to help cancer sufferers in this country. The petition has been launched by Blair Vining, who's suffering terminal bowel cancer. He's calling for a national cancer agency and he's had a lot of help from his daughter. That was News Hub at 6 last weekend. Blair Vining's family have been paying a fortune for medication not funded by the national drug buying agency Pharmac or his own private health insurance. And online, his daughter Lily spread the word of his campaign. The brave 12-year-old made a heartfelt plea to Jacinda Ardern to set up a national cancer agency to help people like her dad. I think it shouldn't matter where you live in New Zealand or if you are rich or poor, anyone with cancer should be able to receive the best possible care. And lots of people evidently agree with the last thing on Blair Vining's bucket list. Collected over two months, more than 140,000 signatures carried in a suitcase and presented to National's health spokesperson Michael Woodhouse. 140,000, it's pretty exciting. 
The Herald's health reporter Emma Russell also reported on Blair's final farewell event last week and a story that kicked off with former All Blacks who were there to support him. Several articles she's written about Blair Vining's campaign have the tag Cancer Disgrace and in a five-part series she wrote for The Herald back in May called Cancer, Why Can't We Get It Right? She said this. Southern DHB oncologist Chris Jackson has been advocating for a national cancer agency funded by the government but acting independently, like Pharmac does, to improve the system. But in a lot of the media coverage lately, the government's drug-buying agency Pharmac has been framed as the problem, not the solution. Last month, RNZ ran a four-part investigation into how Pharmac works and whether its model is costing lives. And Guy Nesman grilled the Pharmac chief executive, Sarah Fitt, on Pharmac ranking medicines it might fund, but, frustratingly for patients, keeping that secret to try and cut better deals with the drug makers. That's what our prioritisation, our ranking does. It stacks up what actually is going to... But we don't know what the ranking is either, no. do we? Why not? Because it's the most commercially sensitive bit of information we have. Why? Because that acts as our leverage um, companies. But it was the limited availability of the latest life-extending but costly cancer drugs that was also a focus of the series. And at the end of it, the Pharmac boss, Sarah Fitt, told Guy and Espen of this. Treatment for cancer isn't all about medicines. No. It's about screening, it's about diagnosis. Can- can- medicines are about 8 to 10% of cancer control. The most effective things to manage cancer a screening, diagnosis, radiotherapy and surgery. Medicines make up 8 to 10% of cancer yeah, control. Yeah, but they can buy you years, though, can't they? Well, some can, some can't, and that's what we have to work out. Yeah, and you're comfortable to wait 13 years behind Australia to fund a drug like that? Well, that's, we funded other medicines in the meantime. Mm personal stories of sufferers who are denied drugs that are funded by the state in comparable countries were also to the fore in that RNZ series. And again, two weeks later, in another RNZ series, Life or Death Under Pharmac, this time on the early morning show First Up. Our recent story on 14-year-old Stella Beeswick, who has SMA, that's spinal muscular atrophy, invoked such a huge response from our listeners and followers on social media who shared similar experiences. So we decided to invite them into the office to hear their stories. Today we begin a week-long series sharing some of their stories with you. Like Stella, many of them are desperately pleading for Pharmac to fund life-saving medication for them or their loved ones. Among a dozen on-camera monologues was this one with Troy Elliott, who described the care here as third world. The government increased in a so-called wellbeing budget $10 million each year for the next four years, 1% of the Pharmac budget. With inflation sitting there at 2%, we're actually going backwards. And the worst thing is that the, that actual $10 million was for what they termed affordable medicines or affordable drugs. Trust me, the drugs that we're on and thousands of others in New Zealand are on are not affordable at $120,000 a year. And that first up series ended with Ray Collins, who has advanced lung cancer and who aired her grievances against Pharmac in a poem. Oh, Pharmac. Oh, Pharmac. Why are you so commercially driven when so many meds are universally proven to give people like me a quality of life so people like me can be a normal wife? And younger diagnosed people can be long-time mums and be remembered as healthy, not ill by the young ones. Why do people like me risk being destitute when we are ill just because you won't fund a pill? 
Now, the distress of these people and their feelings about Pharmac and funding are pretty clear, but while some were specific about the costs of their treatments, only a few were forthcoming about how much time and quality of life the treatments might offer them. And that's obviously a tough thing to ask patients who are in distress, but the publicly funded budget for drugs is finite, and as things stand, funding medicine for them means others missing out too. Last Tuesday, Guy Nespina returned to the story on RNZ's Checkpoint. While more than 100 medicines sit on Pharmac's waiting list, some for five years or even 10 years, NICE has no waiting list at all. The chief executive of NICE, Sir Andrew Dillon, is visiting New Zealand and he sat down for his only interview here with Guyon Espiner. NICE is the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, the agency which decides which cancer drugs are available for the National Health Service in the UK. And Lisa Owen pointed out that its chief executive, Sir Andrew Dillon, was visiting New Zealand as a guest of Medicines New Zealand, which represents drug companies and lobbies the government here to spend more on their products. Medicines New Zealand also sponsors content on major news websites, often through the stories of individual sufferers. Spinal muscular atrophy sufferer Fiona Tolich, for example, is one of them, and she was also one of those who told her story to RNZ's Life or Death Under Pharmac series. Why are they instead celebrating financial success or economical benefits or the savings that they make and and keeping everything secret? Nothing is centred around the patient at all. In a 12-minute interview on Checkpoint, Sir Andrew Dillon from NICE told Guy and Espiner that the UK draws on a special fund for speedy approval and purchase of expensive cancer drugs before clinical data confirms their effectiveness. But he wasn't willing to say that the Pharmac system, which doesn't do that, is wrong. Hence the awkward pause in this exchange. For lung cancer, Keytruda, Alectinib, Osmertinib, Crizotinib, all funded in the UK... Uh, they are, yes, yeah. Not funded here. We can't both be right, can we? You're either wasting money on drugs that, that don't provide enough benefit or we're rationing drugs that work. We can't both be right, can we? Yeah, but every country in the world is a bit different in terms of um, both the choices it makes and the ways it goes about making those choices. Online, RNZ's headline about NICE was, We Like to Say Yes. Pharmac, by contrast, has been portrayed across the news media recently as an outfit unwilling to say yes to the same treatments. But NICE can afford to say yes, thanks to the UK's Cancer Drugs Fund established in 2011. Now that fund was promised by the Conservative Party during an election campaign in 2010 and as Sir Andrew Dillon explained to Guy Espiner on Checkpoint last Tuesday, it was tweaked two years ago to fast-track promising new cancer drugs for UK patients. But a look at the UK media reveals concerns that cancer drugs have been prioritised over other treatments there because of this. In December 2014, for example, the Financial Times called the Cancer Drugs Fund a populist gesture that gives the impression of benefiting patients, but in fact rewards poor quality drugs while benefiting a handful of pharmaceutical companies at the expense of the taxpayer and the full range of National Health Service patients. In 2014, the UK's Labour Party said it would replace the Cancer Drugs Fund with a Cancer Treatment Fund, which would pay not only for innovative cancer drugs, but also for surgery and radiotherapy. 
Last year, the UK's Royal Society of Medicine analysed five years of national news reports in the UK about their cancer drugs fund. And the findings, published in the Royal Society of Medicine journal, were that mostly positive media stories are likely to have contributed to the cancer drug fund's continuation, despite what it called mounting evidence of its ineffectiveness. Access at any cost was the clear totem around which the pro-fund media based its coverage. The views of experts who pointed out the intrinsic unfairness of the fund or the lack of efficacy of many of the drugs seemed to have counted for little against the human interest stories of individual patients. The author of the report said that a number of senior correspondents, commentators and media outlets did attempt to restore some balance, but... Compared with the positive reporting and wide distribution of the other UK national newspapers, they were lone voices in the wilderness. Now that study was commissioned by Professor Richard Sullivan, Professor of Cancer and Global Health at King's College London, who advises other countries in cancer care regimes. Indeed, he was here in New Zealand at a major cancer care conference in February, which was opened by Blair Vining, the cancer sufferer now campaigning for a national cancer authority. The health minister, David Clark, was there too, launching a blueprint for the future agency as part of a new draft cancer care plan. And while he was here, Professor Sullivan talked to Kim Hill on RNZ National all about that. The, the issue has been over the years that within the pharmaceutical model, cancer drugs create incredible returns on investment. And we've seen basically prices going up and up and up over the last 20 years because it's the way that the market works. This is about power. It's the power to set very high prices and to keep them high because countries will pay for those prices. This is what the issue has been all the time. You have to put in, in, case, in place really strong mechanisms in your country to control prices and negotiate good prices. So this is about fair pricing, a fair price for the impact of those drugs to work. What we see, of course, is there's no connection between the prices, the impact that we have on patients' lives, or the amount of money that's invested in R&D. Countries and people are being asked to pay a great deal of money for the unknown. Mm. And, and a lot of that unknown is doesn't pan out. When we, we look backwards over sort of two or three years, we discover the drugs actually don't work. That was Richard Sullivan, Professor of Cancer and Global Health at King's College London, talking to Kim Hill on RNZ National back in February. Now, for all the claims that New Zealand's access to advanced cancer drugs is third world, our cancer survival rates are not. A major international study published in British medical journal The Lancet last year said New Zealand was actually in the top five countries in the world. For most common cancers, it said, the five-year survival rates are the highest in the world in the USA and Canada, Australia and New Zealand, and then Finland, Iceland, Norway and Sweden. But not, interestingly, in the UK. Now, the reasons that Pharmac withholds information on its decision-making is a legitimate topic for media investigation. And likewise, whether Pharmac is incentivised to come in under budget to create surpluses that it can use down the track rather than meeting the needs of people who are suffering now. And media shouldn't ignore the fact that hundreds of people are fundraising online to cover the costs of treatment that they might get for free in comparable countries, which spend much more of their health budgets on new medicines that extend life. Here, the media have amplified calls for reform of the Pharmac system and for a boost to the budget for medicine that's on its list and for new treatments on the pipeline. And as we've heard, the government acknowledges that a consistent standard of care around the country is really urgent. But the National Cancer Agency that's being proposed, which is independent and free from political influence, could still come to the conclusion that more money for new drugs isn't always the way to go.